Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining, or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Hello, Brock. How the fuck have you been? Do we even need to describe them as dark stories? Are there any other kind of stories anymore? Like This podcast would be like, look, we release episodes sporadically because we're trying to find happy stories, and fuck me. They're not out there. We we scour the internet. We have Google search settings for it. The podcast where we get together, tell each other about Tuesday, and just see if we can get through. Yeah. <laughs> We're just the equivalent of the Lemon It's Wednesday meme. Show. <laughs> and that's the week. That's the name of our, of our buddy time that uh, just gets over the hump. Yes. Uh, so, hey, everybody. Been a spotty uh, six months or so here. A lot of changes going on. Uh, Will Bibby has stopped being our editor to move on to things after several years. Uh, a round of applause to Will. Uh, And we have uh, somebody new who's been ushered in. Hooray! Welcome aboard, Ben. How are you? I hope you're well, and I apologize in advance for everything we're about to subject you to. (laughs) What has life been subjecting you to, my good friend? (laughs) Well, Brock, the global pandemic. Well, that thing, I heard it was over. Tell me more <laughs> about this. Did you start a new one? <laughs> is it is it retro to, to die, drowning in your own fluids? <laughs> it is, in fact, nostalgic. Now, about five weeks ago, I had a day where I was running a fever, and uh, I, I didn't think anything of it. I was just slightly elevated temperature. And then the following day, uh, I felt much better, of course. And I had a driving lesson because I started to learn to drive after a mere 12-year gap since the last time I tried it. <laughs> uh, it, it it's, it's like riding a bike that's twice as wide and can kill people because it goes up to 100 miles an hour. It's so much fun. I assure you that the way that I ride a bike can also kill people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before lessons are standard, I, obviously, because I'm sitting in the car with someone for two hours, and I take a, an LFT. And I took one, and I, I kind of went to get some coffee and turned around and Marguerite was standing there holding the test with I'm really sorry but I was like oh fuck and she lost it about a day past me so uh, she was able to get in siege supplies and we just we didn't really leave the house for about 10 days uh, a very kind friend did a click and collect grocery order for us and about 8 days in we felt well enough to go and sit in the car having masked all the way down the building to the car and go and sit in an abandoned parking lot and remind ourselves of how how much larger the world is and i mean it was it was a very nuanced experience because at no point was it good you know i had about five days where i felt like hammered shit and about two weeks after the point where i started testing negative my my brain hung up a close sign at seven o'clock every night it was just no you will do nothing else but we got through it and we got through it because we rested smartly and sensibly and because our amazing friends including your good self really stepped up to help out so the actual thank you so much everyone for that and the and i mean the actual experience was shit but the pastoral care elements of it and watching literally 25 movies in two weeks didn't suck so yeah that is um it remains uh our our music editor at my publication had it around the same time you did and uh we we commiserated because 
whenever we've gotten it, the issue has always been this sort of like shit, fuck everything so bad. But I do know I'm about to catch up on all of my reading and a bunch of TV shows and movies. And then you're just sitting there after the first week having made it through two half episodes of something because you kept dozing off or <laughs> just enough pain to not be able to pay attention. And so you're like, I, I've missed, I've missed all this. I think that like on the scale of things that were very bad about COVID number like 45 is just that consistent letdown of like, this will be good for me catching up on entertainment and rest and relaxation. <laughs> and uh, even your best case scenario is still like, no, it's all applesauce up there. None of this sticks, and uh, it's not enjoyable. None of this was fun. <laughs> I think there is an episode of The Office I've seen seven times, each time in segments, and each time slightly different. <laughs> so I, I, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I think I've got like two minutes, quite a lot of which is I think is Angela looking to camera, and then the whole thing's done. That'll be great. Wait, sorry, are you doing American Office for the first time? It's actually kind of the first and a half time. Because I'd got up to uh, season five before. Uh-huh. I watch it quite late at night. I watch it before I go to bed. So I, I'm ashamed to say that when I got to season four and the uniform 45-minute run times, my brain went, you don't have time for that. <laughs> so uh, I, I just evil can evil over season four and landed straight on season five. And I'm going back through it now having one of the things I did with COVID was, well, season one is the one that's most like the UK one. So just sit in bed and have that on in the background. Not like you, you just let the waves of Gervaisian energy roll over you. And I did, and that was fine. <laughs> I'm enjoying it a lot more this time around. It's me, right? You know how this goes. So my, my brain is going, that's oh, really interesting. The exact point where you can kind of see them go, holy shit, Michael's actually a monster. We, I, I think we have to fix him. Possibly terminally fix him. You know, and it's really interesting that kind of season two, you kind of see stuff start to lock in. Season three, you see it really find its feet. And in season four, five, they suddenly realize that Jenna Fisher is the best cast member they have that they're paying no attention to. And they suddenly give her things to do. And the show gets exponentially better instantly. It's really weird. We could discuss office things for quite some time, but yes, the release between season one and season two of the comedy 40-year-old virgin and them realizing, I think people like Steve Carell, we have to pivot so hard now. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, it's like steering a fucking super tanker, man. The first half of season two, he's just within sight of evil. And because Carell is so freaking good, you could just see him going, I maybe would be a bit sad if this man caught fire by the end of season two. <laughs> it's also really weird because I'm finally catching up on Jack Ryan, a show which my Amazon Prime watch history tells me I watched the entire first season of and genuinely have no memory of it. And just flipping between amiable, long-haired, goofy Krasinski and Captain Jarhead is quite the cognitive dissonance. That one remains utterly baffling to me as a red-blooded Midwestern American who grew up reading all the Tom Clancy stuff, and I was like, right, but even when Harrison Ford plays him in the movies, this guy's just supposed to be, like, an accountant. Like, uh, and so the fact he occasionally stumbles into action and fumbles through it is supposed to be interesting that John Krasinski could have played him as an accountant, but instead they're like, what if your shirt was off a lot? Like, I'm like, okay. that's a- Right? He's he's a straight-up fucking jarhead. And I mean, yeah. that's a choice, and that's fine. 
But I mean, the, the the two Ryan movies I've always given house room to are The Hunt for Red October because my considered opinion is it is a modern classic, and Clear and Present Danger. And Clear and Present Danger works brilliantly because the entire thing revolves around Ben Affleck, who at that point was built like a linebacker, playing a man <laughs> trying very hard to not get into a fight. And the one time he does, he gets batted between the front paws of an actually actual trained killer like a cat with a mouse and has to be rescued, which I think is a really smart thing that more action movies should do. Ben Affleck is some of all fears. Oh, yes, thank you. Clear and Present Danger is the... Oh, God, no, it's it's not Patriot Games. Uh, that's a terrible IRA one. Ben Affleck's Summer Full Fist. If you have never seen it, see it with the commentary on. Yes. Affleck, yes, Affleck is, is part of two of the best DVD commentaries ever recorded. Gone Girl? Oh, I haven't even got to Gone Girl yet. The Armageddon one, which is fucking hilarious. And uh, it's, I don't think Affleck's on the, the Summer Full Fist one. But Phil Alden Robinson, the director, and Clancy are. And Uncle Tom Clancy was a salty, salty old man. <laughs> there, there is a solid 25-minute section and a kind of beat in one of the later action scenes where an aircraft carrier is very badly damaged. And there's just a passing reference to how originally it was sunk and the, the decision was made that they should row back on this because it's basically impossible to fully sink an aircraft carrier. And for 25 minutes, Clancy is chuntering away in the background about how that was a bullshit call and they should never have even considered it in the first place. Uh, Phil Alden Robinson has such strong vocal. All right, Dad, you just yeah okay. <laughs> Shall I put the news on for you? Yeah. Before we put the capper on our intro uh, for the non-imperialist pro-military crowd that we have <laughs> certainly cultivated and whomst we are also members of, the, the the one thing for creatives that is actually I I think delightfully worth taking away from the existence of Tom Clancy. Uh, which was part of my father's introduction for me to, to the books when I was in grade school, was that uh, Tom Clancy constantly pissed off the U.S. government when his books came out. And the reason was his books always featured like some sort of new technology or new program that the military was implementing and how it could go wrong or a problem with it. And every time the book would come out and the government would go, Hold on, how the fuck does he know about that thing that we're actively working on? It's top secret, and and the answer was that the guy just spent his life in libraries and just kept pulling things. And inevitably, if you pull enough paperwork, you find things, especially in the eighties and nineties, that mm -hmm. accidentally reference top secret stuff that isn't redacted. Like it's all on paper. No one could control it from an electronic level. So like. There's one version of Tom Clancy that's just the guy whose name is on all the rah-rah murder. Uh, dad fix. Yeah. yeah, dad fix stuff. Uh, but then there's also the version of him that I, I really enjoy that's just the library rat. Uh, <laughs> as much as you could look at it now and be like, this is incredibly pro-military propaganda to know that he constantly was like hated to the point that they started spying on him. <laughs> like it's just Brilliant. like, yeah, I, I, I wonder what his relationship was with them near the end because he was more right than they were and they wouldn't admit to things, but they were like, <laughs> please stop doing this. And he's like, I don't know, get your files in order. I, I want his Jack Ryan to remain exactly who he is. Just like, yes. I know it's not good for the visual medium 
to be like, all right, now this guy embarks on what is apparently like four to five months of basically a thesis paper. Uh, there's a long montage here of paperwork and citing and double checking sources, but like that's actually like actual spy work, and I think that that's great. <laughs> exactly. It also rem it also reminded me of one of my favorite things about Leverage. There is a very early episode of Leverage, which I believe involves stock fraud, and the the showrunners have talked a lot about how when that episode aired, about a week later they got a phone call from the uh, U.S. Treasury Department. And uh, it was basically a couple of guys with very particular haircuts came in, sat down with the writer's room and said, could you walk us through how you got to this particular plot beat? You're not in trouble. Uh, and they did. And they went, Great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, maybe don't do that again. And left. And as near as they could tell, they had actually spotted an exploit in the financial systems and everyone else had missed. It's good that the government found that out when it broadcast on USA characters welcome. <laughs> right, you know. Uh, do you have a story for us today? Do I? Oh, Brock. Oh, I processed a little rage. It's great. <laughs> I, I'm actually a little frightened because when you talk about rage, it's normally our muted version of pop culture rage, but you have such genuine existential uh, rage <laughs> to, to deal with. I, your, your, your tweets have had a lot of all capital letters in them lately, so I know that you've been... Uh, COVID left you with your taste buds, but left you without the little Hellraiser boxes with which to store your anger, and that's fine and uh, welcome. So I, here we go. Good. Hit me. You don't, you don't understand, Cap. I always use block capitals. Um, Wikipedia is a funny thing. The opening line of the entry for the Stone of Scone, and we'll get to that, says it was used originally in the coronation of the monarchs of Scotland, and after the 13th century, the coronation of the monarchs of England. Which is a lot like saying the Elgin Marbles are taking a gap century in London. Technically accurate, but only technically. The Stone of Scone, my scone, my scone, also known as the Stone of Destiny, is very central to the coronation of King Charles III, which has occurred today in the UK, or as someone referred to it, it's the single largest old man gets new hat party in the world. Also, I am singing the Tenacious D song too, which, uh, just in case you were worried that it wasn't just you. The the stone was originally in Scott, and I'm just going to shift between pronunciations each time. The stone was originally in Scone Abbey in Scone, near Perth, Scotland. It was seized by the forces of Edward I, Hammer of the Scots, and all-around bastard in 1296 and moved to Westminster Abbey. Now, this is where it gets funky. The stories about it vary wildly, but they're all pretty interesting, and a lot of them actually talk about the stone as being brought over from Ireland, where it was used for inaugurating the High Kings. Others still talk about it being the Stone of Jacob from the Bible. Geologists, meanwhile, who really shouldn't have the party pooper reputation they have, have gently but firmly pointed out it is very much a piece of lower old red sandstone, of which there is a lot in Scone. Anyway, the thing is, it's a chair. It's literally okay. a chair. Kings were coronated by sitting on this stone until, in what we can only presume was their designated smart choice that century, the English establishment, having stolen it, added a wooden platform and the stone was seated beneath the royal seat. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all thinking the same thing, right? This is a domination kink with armed forces and supply chains. The monarch oh is literally sitting on the representation of Scottish power. It's it's teabagging, just in chainmail. Art thou mad, bro? You know? 
Anyway, even somehow moving aside the deeply weird connotations of this stone is the stone on which the asses of all kings have rested, the stone has had a time. In 1914, suffragettes planted a nail bomb next to the coronation chair. Don't even get me fucking started on the coronation chair. And the stone which was contained in it at the time. And the only damage was a corner being knocked off the world's ugliest chair not made by William Sonoma, and the stone being cracked in half. Not that anyone noticed, that is, until 1950. And this is where it gets even funkier. In 1950, four Scottish nationalists... Decades before Nicolas Cage stole the Declaration of Independence, broke into the church to steal the stone. They succeeded. They got out of the church, they got out of the country. They put the stone in Arbroath Abbey. They confessed in public. They literally went, are you missing the Stone of Destiny by any chance? Because we've got it, and it's over here. And by the way, fuck you. Is your destiny running? Well, you'd better go <laughs> let it out of the can. <laughs> right? Now, even better, this was a massive story, and it was so fucking embarrassing that there was an actual public statement you can read on the Wikipedia page for this, which is basically, this has caused a huge amount of upset, but um, it's also really embarrassing, and we kind of get the feeling that if we if we took it back, it might, you know, there might be a bit of a war, and uh, yeah, okay, we're not going to charge anybody, just, you know, don't steal anything else. Which I, I think is absolutely fantastic. I love that this is a crime so audacious and so victimless that every establishment involved basically went, yeah, alright, even better. They actually fixed the stone because it had been blown in half by the suffragette nail bomb. One of two planted, by the way. The other one was diffused before it could go off. So they repaired it, they polished it up, they, you know, Gave it a bath, all that, all that stuff, and now it's sat in Scotland for a little while. And today it was, or well, earlier in the week, it was brought back to the UK so that Chuckles McFucko could sit on it. Oh, also earlier today, I saw protesters preemptively arrested on the coronation route so as to not make the old man with a new hat and more money than God sad. So you know the country's doing great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Even better, even better, on top of all of this, there is a persistent rumour that the same Scottish Nicholas Cages that stole the Stone of Destiny in 1950 made a fake, and they sent that back to England. I love that so much, I can't quite articulate it. Firstly, forging a stone. I mean, I'm not decrying the stonemason's art, but I'm guessing that as long as you have a hammer, a chisel, and a time, it's not that hard. And secondly, just the fucking audacity of it. I, I, I love that to tiny, tiny pieces. Oh, and there is a movie. This whole thing was adapted into a film starring the man who would later go on to play Daredevil, Charlie Cox, who is not remotely Scottish in any way, shape or form. And I feel there's a metafictional point in there. Perhaps <laughs> just a little. You know, he might be. Who could say? But the dude presents as, you know, pretty posh. Anyway, in 1996, it was returned to Scotland, and then earlier this year, like I say, Chuckles Magoo got the call that then it was brought back down here. By the time you read this, it will have sat, like him, in a bomb-damaged chair so old that all the finery on it has been literally eroded by centuries of royal buttocks in an abbey full of the political and financial elite, which sits 11 minutes away from the Trussell Trust, which is one of the three food banks within walking distance of Westminster Abbey and within walking distance of the Houses of Parliament. Because it turns out, even after all of this, destiny is a king's game. Oh my God. It's 
very weird over here right now, Brock. You might be able to tell. I, I mean, this, this is one of those that your weird passes through a, a filtration device and I get to watch the American version of weird uh, and <laughs> because I'm just like, your weird makes sense. You're all sort of trapped on the island with it. It's it's fine. The people over here who are right or die for it without usually understanding much of it, I'm like, I don't. Did you not have enough options in sport? There are plenty of sports teams. I don't know why these old racists. I don't know. I just finished watching The Crown for the first time, so that's what I've been doing, and I'm I I, I don't. At least that's prestige TV, and I was like, I like watching all these Doctor Who people uh, have fun, but uh, otherwise, <laughs> that's the other one we have at the moment. Um, there's the beginnings of a bubbling existential crisis in Who fandom because. Uh, an amazing drag queen whose name unfortunately temporarily escapes me, and Jonathan Groff from Hamilton and Mindhunt have both been confirmed as stars in the next season of the show. And uh, above a certain age group, Doctor Who fans in some places are going, well, I've never heard of them. And below a certain age group, they're going, we're so clearly getting a musical episode after 60 years. Let me have this. I haven't watched a couple of seasons now. I My ability to care just dropped off entirely. And the moment the Groff announcement happened, I was like, I have to catch up on everything to be ready for what could be a single episode. But also, the master as Groff, I, I, yeah, I have no idea where the show is at this point. But literally anything. Give me give me whatever. I Right. Yes. On top of the whole shooting out where it's also in the Barbie movie and Ryan Gosling is a fan now. Like, yes, this is a fantastic time for the world's strangest TV show. More of this, thank you. So what is your carrying into the void on this? You are not going to stand still, however much you may not want to. You are not going to stay intact, however much you may want to. You will travel roads you don't want to go down, roads you will be forced along, and you will be away from what and who you love for too long. You will be cracked. You will be ripped apart, corners blown off by time and other people's rage, and you will be tempted, tempted beyond words, to live inside the myth of stoicism. Just endure, just survive, just sit like a rock and wait for your enemies to die, get bored, or both. You're more than that. You are an idea unique to the world, one that is seen and loved and appreciated. There will be times when you are rescued. There will be times when you are doing the rescuing. You're not going to stand still. You're not going to stay intact. You're going to be better than you ever thought possible, and every damage, every cut, every wound, every injustice will become context. Nothing more. That is your destiny. Oh, okay. <laughs> Been a while. Thought I'd go all in. We haven't done the show in a while. Oh, I forget what it's like to work with you. Oh, no. I, <laughs> I have been perceived? Oh, okay. So this show is good. This is one of the only good things that I do. You're a good person. One of the only good people I know. God damn it. Okay, that one, shit. Likewise, okay. buddy. Thank you. <laughs> good, good, good. This is what we make is fun and good. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That was a delightful spin from discussing a chair and not your first <laughs> chair episode this is uh... i know i know i'm, de I'm becoming the chair guy when i was at, at tour.com I, I did like three or four pseudo obituaries of genre actors and by the fourth one i was like what why am i mr death i don't like being mr death and i, I i'd be 
you know, Mr. Death, I'm not happy with. Being the chair guy, I got all your chair-related content. I got you covered. We call you Mr. Comfortable, and it feels vaguely threatening across the board. <laughs> Dost thou wish to live comfortably? Discuss with Mr. Comfortable. <laughs> oh, that's that needs to be a t-shirt. Jordan, if you're listening, we got one. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a good time to also shout out to uh, Jordan, Megan, Will. Thank you guys all so much. This show is coming up on almost five years of running. Uh, I know that's sporadic to be uh, cracking like our mid-70s episodes here, but uh, also thank you to everyone who listens for allowing us to be as right. sporadic as needs to be around our own mental health. This is great. <laughs> I, I love being part of the show, and I love working with and talking to you, and I love the, the legacy of people who've been on the show and who no doubt will return in various forms. Which reminds me, we, we potentially need to start doing the evil planning for episode 100. Uh, I hope it goes better than our planning for episode 69. <laughs> nice. Not, it, it could have been, it could have been. So, uh, yeah, the story I've got for you today... Uh... Did a file just come through on chat that you can open? Ooh, I love that you always do this with AIDS. It's really good. Uh, let me see. Yes. What is this? Can you describe what you're looking at? It's <laughs> opening. It's opening. It's opening. Here we go. Okay, I'm in. Oh. Oh. I know that ship. Oh, okay. So this is great. So, um, yeah, what uh, what you're looking at is is a container ship. Uh, in the middle of the sea, floating 50 feet maybe above the ocean. Uh, absolutely nothing in the middle of it, nothing around. Just yep. a large ship floating. And um, this one actually was off the coast of Kent in 2021. What? Which... When we do ghost ships, usually ghost ships are in the water or coming up from under the water. This one's just hovering a significant distance above the ground, and, and people were able to catch it from the shore. And they were like, that's not right. Someone should check in on them. This actually isn't an uncommon thing. And so it's, it's a visual experience that happens called the Fata Morgana. Uh, now... Uh, it's it's actually a weather phenomenon. Uh, so the report I have on this one that I'm working from is actually from AccuWeather.com. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't normally go to just the weather radar sites for this, but this was it's been in my backlog for a bit. Anyway, it's it's essentially a mirage that takes things, especially that are on the sea, and instead of making them blurry or slightly disjointed just seems to make them seem like they are flying like they there there's a very clear horizon line and this thing is oh, yeah. above it there doesn't seem to be anything else about it uh and, and so basically it's like um temperature inversion causes this basically cold air lies close to the sea with warm air above since cold air is denser than warm air it bends light towards the eye of someone standing in the distance making the mirage appear and usually it requires like a real object that's of a good size, which is why it's so often uh, ships. So it actually doesn't really move the ship so much as it creates a false horizon. So it's like it, it's not that it puts the ship in the sky. It actually drops the sea line down. Oh, I love that. Which is trickier because that involves not just like dropping the sea line beneath the ship, but it involves dropping the entirety of the horizon. And then there's just this ship very, very high above it. 
what a fantastic version of a mirage. It's not seeing an oasis in the desert. It can occur on land, uh, but like it's it's very familiar in the Great Lakes region of the United States. Uh-huh. Anyway, it's called the Fata Morgata because it is inspired by King Arthur's sorceress sister, Morgan Le Fay, who Arthurian legend has it created mirages that would appear in the Strait of Messina between Italy and Sicily. And she would create castles or other intricate objects floating in the air, many of them including, like, the Flying Dutchman, the ghost ship. So, like, the idea that somebody's specialty would be just making stuff seem to be in the sky, near water, like, it's actually based in a weather-based thing, the, the Fat Morgana. And I just find it so very funny, like... No one ever really gets into the science of Mirage. You're like, I don't know, the image is blurry, and maybe yeah. you're hungry or thirsty, and the brain can fill in the rest. But the idea that like people near coastlines can just sort of get used to, like, ah, ghost ship. Like, yeah, yeah I, it's all fine. <laughs> I, what I'm actually seeing is the entirety of the curvature of the Earth adjusting. That's on me. That's actually on me, because cold air is sometimes less less cool than hot air. And just like... Good, good. I dig that one. <laughs> uh, I just, my, my brain, of course, naturally goes to, you're back early. Yeah, curvature of the earth adjusting. What? <laughs> curvature of the earth adjusting. <laughs> uh, how many lighthouse keepers down the, down the years have looked at this and gone, you can see that too, right? It must be annoying when it is your one job. You can't just be like, that's fucked up. You're like, okay, but I gotta, I gotta look into this one again. Third <laughs> right. time today, but... And also, how many other lighthouse keepers, when asked, you can see that too, right, have eventually gone, no. <laughs> There's the new Robert Eggers movie right there. The not-quite-right house. <laughs> the not-quite-right house. <laughs> Which Robert Pattinson's a little tetchy, but only a little. This is beautiful. I love shit like this. and I, I, yeah. it's, it's impossible not to kind of think about if it was real and the crew of the ship just going, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, keep going. It'll correct in a minute. Now I'll make eye contact. I, I mean, the two versions of that are either like, hey, we can shut the engines off. It seems to be taking it. We're going to make some good time. Or it's, oh, we are floating upwards. I, I Do we need to burp? What is either there's a lateral or a... It is the, the literal definition of one of those things that shows up on on the dying neurons of Twitter a lot, and it's, it makes me laugh every time. And it is when something utterly awful is retweeted with the phrase, all in lower caps, is this bad? <laughs> so I've got a, a caring that goes with this one. Um, Brilliant. Look, in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Oh, it's, God, it's you. What are you doing up there? That's <laughs> not where you belong. Or is it? Who are we to place any limits on you whatsoever? How dare we think you need exist bound by any of the same rules as the rest of us? Take your platform, or lack of any platform whatsoever, and take to the skies, or the depths, or just slightly to the right of where one would expect. It's just subtly off disquieting. I don't know how you're doing it, but no explanation of swamp gas reflecting Jupiter's light can possibly subtract from the truth of what we're seeing. This space belongs to you. Do with it what you want. Be unbound and dare us to piece it together on our own time. Ride, Captain Ride, on your mystery ship. That is beautiful. It's, it's fine. <laughs> that is, I have missed hearing you do this. That is so fucking cool. It's great. 
I just like quoting rock songs written by Shel Silverstein. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a self-caring into the void this week? Yeah, you know, walk while you can. Walking is 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 sort of fun. Uh, my uh, my wife uh, was walking through a parking lot last week and managed to uh, almost break her ankle. Uh, she's oh, pretty laid up from that, and uh, wasn't like stepped in a hole that wasn't there. Just took a step, and the step did not pan out. Uh, and it's been one of those that uh, it feels Oof. like that's been a metaphor for a lot of things lately. It's like nothing caused this yeah i just took a step and the step was not there uh so yeah. uh i've been doing a lot of walking and just sort of uh enjoying the steps that i get to take it's it's one of those low level things much like how we began the episode of like pain's weird and how just a little bit of it can sort of ruin the ability of your brain to do everything else so the days where i'm not experiencing any sort of strange shooting pain or the the bare minimum of mental fog uh, or it can just you know walk without going ow that sucks and then wrapping a, a bunch of ice around it for a bit just cherishing the small things which are just functioning normally and that feels pretty good i enjoy the accessibility of function and uh, i i guess that uh, as i advance in years the time to actively appreciate it is now <laughs> that's a really really good one it actually puts me in mind of something I've I've had a couple of times where I've I've had a couple of persistent injuries. And the most recent one was the the edema I was the I diagnosed with a couple of years ago, which is why I have a delightful leg wrap I wear a lot of the time, and it has basically cleared it entirely up. But for a long time, when that got really bad, I could not walk with that discomfort. And I grew up in the country, and I don't drive, so walking was how I got places. So to go from, I can get 10 blocks away before needing to sit down, to I can get to the end of the corridor before needing to sit down, was hard. And the kicker in all of that, and this is why that resonates so hard with me, is I didn't notice when it stopped. There was no moment where suddenly everything was easy again. There was a moment four or five months into that. I was reminded of it yesterday, actually, because I went to see Evil Dead Rise, which is at the cinema that's about 15 minutes away on foot. This is the first time I'd been since I got COVID. And I got down there with no problem in one go. And it just popped back into my mind. If you have not always been able to do this, take a moment and appreciate when you can do this. So thank you. That has crystallized something in my brain very nicely. What do you got going on? Ice cream at night. It's very similar, yes. actually, yes. in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, we we Pre-COVID, we took three walks a week, Sundays, Tuesdays, and, and Thursdays. There's a really nice walk down by the river. It's the actual River Thames by a sports centre. And we used to go walk a couple of miles, come back, and call it good. And it, it really helped. And this was the first one in about five weeks. And we, we rocked up about half nine at night, fully expecting the place to be empty. And it was full. And there were guys in high-vis vests uh, directing traffic. And what we had not put together was that was the local elections day. And the sports centre is the largest venue in about two miles. So it's where all the counting was being done. One car park had basically been shut off. And that was for when all the ballot boxes were going to be coming in. And the other car park was in use. So we were able to park there. Walked down to the river. Took, took our ice creams with us. Ran into a friend of ours who runs a coffee van. Who very sensibly had sat up outside the counting office and was there all night. He had a very good time. At our ice creams by the riverside and then went back and basked in democracy. So we got this kind of little contact high from 
from this West Wing-esque style. Oh, I hate it here on Jurassic Park for bigots, but this <laughs> this part of the system works quite nicely, and I just had ice cream, so that that was a really nice experience. Fantastic! I love that. Yeah. Got anything you want to share into the void this week? Yes, it's possible I saw my favorite movie of the year last week. It's on Disney Plus at the moment, even though it is irrationally in cinemas at the same time. It's a thing called Rye Lane, R-Y-E. Uh, it starts with a, a meet-cute, and the meet-cute is the male lead, Dom, is in the toilets at an art gallery where a friend is launching a show, crying because he's just been dumped, and the female lead, Yaz, really needs to pee and doesn't want to wait. So she goes into the male toilets, she gets talking to Dom through the door, only sees his shoes, which are very distinctive, and then when she sees him outside, kind of sidles up to him and goes, you're right. And across the course of the next 90 minutes, you get this really beautifully pitched love kind of rom-com, which is also demented. The best fake-named restaurant I've ever heard, Love Guactually, is a one-beat gag. It's a throwaway gag in one scene. There is an extended heist to retrieve Yaz's copy of The Low End Theory by a tribe called Quest from her ex's house. There is the best early 90s rap karaoke sequence I've ever seen. And this is all in 90 minutes. It is such a lovely time. It's never mawkish, and it's never kind of saccharine. It's just, here are two nice people who are having a nice day together, and you get to follow along with them. It's really, really good. Uh, I'm going to push that you uh, pop on over to the pitchkc.com. I have a story up on Art Pop at the KCAI. That's the Kansas Ooh. City Art Institute. Uh, every year they do a big event for graduation of, of the uh, the art students. It's a huge show and a fancy cocktail dinner for people that support it. But um, I went to cover for my publication and wound up uh, doing interviews with just a lot of people. Um, and especially a lot of uh, young trans people currently living in a state that about a month ago enacted a bunch of regulations basically attacking their their existence and normally this show has a lot of quirky arty it's sort of what you think and this time around there were a lot of sections where an artist that clearly did not normally make things like this made incredibly politically fighty-backy work that might exist completely outside of the normal genre in which they work. And I wound up just having a lot of conversations with artists about, like, I know it's not healthy to ask if one needs to hurt for their art, but do you find that the last month has been, like, productive for your art because you're existing in a space that is actively trying to destroy you. Uh, and the answers and the art around some of this were um, transformative uh, and just some very complicated questions and answers from some very young up-and-coming artists, all of whom I've linked to their Instagrams and stuff, and uh, their work is just across the board amazing. And uh, if you're somebody that listens to this show, I'm positive that the the chair that is made to look like it is made out of human flesh with writing all over it and the small farm set built entirely out of disassembled laptop circuit boards from somebody's hoarder parents' basement there's a lot of stuff on brand and some uh, some important voices to hear so uh, bop on over to our page and give a search for art pop kcai <laughs> that does sound like a fantastic show bro Thank you. Yeah. Well, I didn't do it. I just went and said, this is a fantastic show. But uh, yeah. 
Brilliant. We're starting to wrap up, folks. So as is always the case, when we get to this stage of the show, we have two things to remind you of. The first one is that uh, if you like what you hear, please talk about it. Please leave a review. You can leave it on your artisanal podcatcher of choice or scroll down the front steps of whichever mega corporation decides you can have entertainment today because you've been good and deserve a treat. Also, our amazing friend Jordan Shively continues to have a colossal store full of amazing stationery and t-shirts and all kinds of good stuff for all sorts of people, including ourselves and my podcast company, escapeartists.net. Also, as an additional addendum, if you will, to cover up the fact I've used the word also five times in the last five <laughs> sentences. Um, our dear friend Matt Wallace, who has a Void Merch store, is donating all sales from his Void Merch store to one of the funds associated with helping out with the WGA strike for the duration of the strike, as I understand it. So if you like Matt's books, and if you don't like Matt's books, the odds are you just haven't read them yet, Then, uh, and you want some t-shirts, then pop along and help out some writers who need it and if you just want to go take a look at some other stuff and buy some amazing things and help jordan out that would be great too this is why i don't write advertising copy brock that was basically three <laughs> minutes of buy it it's good well that's okay i'm I'm glad to be done with the several years of writing ad copy for other people's podcasts <laughs> where uh you know people that have never gone camping have to plug uh how great this tent company is do you like, like doors well, do Bombas have doors for you? These doors have <laughs> handles, and they open, and a step through Bombas doors to a world of possible... Oh, my God. I think that's our first show back, Brock. It is indeed. Why don't you take us on out? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, folks. This has been a delight. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Will, and Megan and Jordan. And, of course, thank you, the amazing Brock. We will see you next time. Prior to that, you can find me on Twitter at Alistair Stewart and on Mastodon at I genuinely don't know, but I, the link is all over the place. So if you find me on Twitter, you'll find me there. Brock, where can the fine folks find you? At Brock Rober on Twitter, but let's see how long that goes. It feels like yes. that's this is no longer the sustainable. Thepitchkc.com, a, uh, a great publication doing great things. Goddamn right it is. Remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. Bye, 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 bye!